Thanks for tuning in. We're Ace Comicals. I have with me my co-host Rahul Jani and Leon Everett. I'm Brent Driver. Let's get started. Proton packs and half-shell ninjas, supernatural battling gravediggers, and a trippy nightmare in the dark multiverse. And that's just my list. Welcome to episode 22 of Ace Comicals. So, today we have the full gang. Everyone's here. Both of my co-hosts. So I've got Ray and Leon. Hello. Hey. So guys, um, I'm going to start with a confession. Here we go. go. (laughs) I've gotten into Riverdale. (laughs) Well, well, well. Finally. I've I've put it off for so long. I was looking at it on the surface as this, you know, this gaudy teen drama that I wouldn't enjoy because it's not usually my thing. And but it turned out to be a gaudy teen drama that you did enjoy, right? Yes, because it's not actually a gaudy <laughs> teen drama. It's like it's poking fun at gaudy teen drama. That's the way I'm looking at it. Anyway, it's like a parody almost. Like it takes things to such an extreme and draw. You know, I don't know. Kind of the way that um, Twin Peaks did for soap operas, I guess. I don't know if you agree with me. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of influence from um, Twin Peaks uh, in the show, uh, but more in a style capacity than in um, in a broad subject matter way. So there's there's a definite link there where it uses these constructs um, of a of a known genre, uh, especially melodrama, and then really really plays of it, but plays of it in a way where you can tell the creators are a fan of that thing, but also know enough about it um, to be able to poke fun at it and push and pull as much as they can. And it's down to you, Leon, as well, telling me that Aguero Sakasa is the showrunner. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, it's pretty weird, isn't it? Like, <clears throat> to have someone who's like, he was the guy who like transformed Archie Comics in a way. Um, and then when it came to doing the TV show, um, the powers that be just like, yeah, bring it, do what you like. Like this is the man that modernised Archie, and is now the man who seems to be running the show, which is it's pretty good. Um, but the, on paper, doesn't it sound terrible? It does, yeah. Like, oh, we're going to make <laughs> a sexy version of Archie comics. Like it sounds like a parody you'd, you'd see on SNL. Or it something. does. It sounds it sounds like a bad. It does. Joke, it does yeah. sound awful. But then it's played out in such a way that it's actually really enjoyable and there's so many little nods and like little bits and pieces in there that i've picked up on that are nods to other characters that have been published in like pep comics and stuff or like um yeah you've been like a bloodhound like comic comic was just i'm not even looking for it it's just there in my face it's not like i'm pausing and going through every every frame or anything like that yeah but (laughs) like i only picked up like very minor basic ones and my my wheelhouse is more picking up all the literary references and the references to like other media but then you're like there with a fine tooth comb and a magnifying glass and like oh by the way guys uh it references this thing as well what how? How did well, you I don't see know, that? I don't know how far you guys have seen. Have you... T- uh, I'm you up, up to date. date. Are you up to date, Ray? No, I've only seen season oh, one. Oh, okay. Right. Well, I won't I won't say anything more then. But there's some... Like, even throughout season one, there's like so, like little nods to sort of 
comic history, as in comic history as far as Pep Comics and Archie Comics and stuff like that goes, and things like that, and, and even more so in season two as well. There's like all these little bits that they're just sort of like putting in and pulling from seemingly nowhere, but it's it's all it's all there, and it's it's like a you know it's it's great for that, and that is what I think that's what I'm getting out of it. And when Sophie's watching it, I keep sort of like walking into the room and telling her to pause it and then going, fun fact, da 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 da. And then walking away again. <laughs> oh, you're the worst. <laughs> Especially because she was, she started watching it before did, you, didn't yeah. she? The trailblazer in the house. She was watching it before me and I caught bits and pieces when she was watching it. And then it's kind of like, one day I just found myself sitting there with nothing to do and nothing to watch. I thought, you know what? We'll give Riverdale a go. I'm probably going to hate it, but we'll give Riverdale a go. And I was hooked and I've pretty much binged it. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's my favourite kind of melodrama where it's just really attractive people doing really heightened things. I, I love it. <laughs> I, I like it. Yeah, it is. I like, I like this. I was just going to say, like, it's, it's leaning really heavy yeah. into into some of these things which I really enjoy like uh, just some of the the genre niches and some of the just outright weird stuff like they're really not messing around the OTT parody stuff of it and I can't wait I can't wait for them to start leaning into the Archie horror stuff because when they start doing that and they start like doing the Sabrina stuff and maybe you know things mm. Which we we know that they're, they're thinking about the Sabrina stuff because we've we've read the we've read little rumors and people you know people that work on the show have already said well yeah but not for another couple seasons kind of thing you know and they've mentioned Greendale yeah, Greendale gets brought mm. up and yeah no I can't wait for them to do it yeah I really <laughs> hope they just dive straight into it because uh, like they haven't really established. Um, any sense of like strict realism in the show because it is so heightened yeah. so they can they can definitely pull it off if they if they it's... want to yeah i'm hoping they have their cake and eat it like <laughs> be as supernatural as they like but then the next episode they can still mm. like fawn about in it's high school a... and do stuff well, yeah i mean that's the beauty of the comics as well it kind of has that and yeah the supernatural stuff but neither one feels like it's taking a back seat for the other which is really cool um and the um I just yeah like like you're saying like the hyper blown outness of everything that happens in that show it, it, like I was saying before it's like a hyper parody of teen melodrama it's like teen yeah because yeah, everything's the most important thing that's happening to these people it's teen melodrama to like the nth level which I think I enjoy about it because it is it's like it's like it's making fun of itself mm. yeah it's a beautiful show <laughs> it as well <laughs> it is it is gorgeously shot yeah like it, it, they make Riverdale just look like this. Like I think of it as sort of not a hick town, but you know, not sort of like a flyover state from what I get from the comics. Yeah. And in this, it's, it's sort of more like a suburb, and it's like green and has like was it Sweet River or whatever? It's got it just like it's a lot more Sweetwater River. The yeah, yeah, it's a lot yeah. more n- northwestern and and like a bit more bit more metro there's yeah. stuff going on in the town and and it, it walks this weird divide between being modern enough that they can reference stuff that we have now but then the style of a lot of things are like that old archie style all these, like caught between the 50s and yeah, 60s all these hangovers and traditions that seem to be left over in the town from you know 
like pop small yeah shop when their parents grew up yeah. and that being that and the driving still being the only hangouts you know it's yeah. great um nice no, and the way the way it's shot as well like some of the 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 way the the uses of color and things like that and the way it, mm. you know when it goes between faces when people are talking and stuff and if you yeah. it's like framing of comic panels yeah mm. and it just yeah no, it's, it's a great. It, yeah, and all the all the locations are really iconic. Yeah. Like they just there's something really like hazy and languid about the camera yeah. that makes everything seem really important every time it's mm. on screen. And and it's a, it's a great so yeah it's a great show. Don't do what I did and initially snub it because cause it will not do you any favors. <laughs> and and the, moreover, even though it, like in season one they have this whole mystery thing going on, da 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 da. It's ultimately a really fun mm. show. And I think, yeah. um, like, it's a, it makes a bit of a difference when, like, most other shows are a bit doom and gloomy. It's nice to have a show that is having yeah, fun. No, it is. And it's, it's it's great to sort of sit down and watch and catch up on. So, yeah, Riverdale. There we go. That's my confession. Um, something else as well. Apparently, we hit a thousand listens today. But more to the point, Rahul didn't know which turtle was which. <laughs> are, we re- are we really going to go there you said you wouldn't bring this up <laughs> okay did you did, did you have like an inkling did you feel it did do you like i honestly le- I, every time you, no you mentioned any of the colors and like i don't i, I have no idea which one's which i'm not sure which yeah. which turtle holds which staff or which whatever <laughs> like I, don't, I, I guess i don't really care like i grew up with it as a kid and i know i've got proof i've got evidence i've got photographic evidence of me like being fully in love with the titles and then i grew up and then all of that knowledge just left my head but the feeling was left in my heart oh yeah so like how dare you how dare you throw that in my face like i know i was there at the beginning just I'm like throwing you. it in your face i just thought it was funny when you said it <laughs> the way you said it as well is it bad that i had to wow, well, really take yeah, it, it there it, it, it's just, really laying on the just guilt for, for um <laughs> Like yeah. I've insulted a family member. Just, just for context, <laughs> this comes from a conversation earlier where um, Rahul realised that we'd hit a thousand listens. So he was like, oh, yeah, a thousand listens. Let me and Leon know. And uh, Leon sent us all a gif of the Ninja Turtles high-fiving. And uh, I, you said one of the designated, right? I designated characters from the gif to, to everyone. So I was like, okay, so Rahul, you are Donnie. Leon, you are Leo. And me, I'm Mikey. And... Uh, which one's Donnie again? Donnie's purple, the purple right? one, yeah. <laughs> the, the science guy. Donnie's, Donnie's the, the science guy. guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, after that, um, Rahul then told us that he needed to Google which one was which. And Shaking my damn head right I just, now. I just, thought it was, I just thought it was amusing. <laughs> Being as we talk about Ninja Turtles so much on this show. <laughs> I, I'm always, I, I, you might have noticed I'm always very quiet when he comes up. <laughs> So yeah, Donna's cool. She's my favorite turtle. <laughs> I, I love Donna. Donatella. <laughs> Donatella works in a bank, right? No, yeah. Um... <laughs> so yeah, this is just a just something that I thought was humorous. But yeah, so we hit a thousand listens. So well, which which is it's awesome, pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. Like, yeah, we're, yeah, we're like been doing this for like uh since february or so yeah on our 22nd episode and it's it's, it's nice so i've been we're slowly but surely uh yeah uh bu- building up uh, repeat listeners a, a fan base maybe mm. um 
and it, it it's uh, <laughs> it, it's yeah. nice to to know that people yeah. are uh, tuning in and uh, interested to hear what we said and uh, are happy to spend an hour or, or more likely ninety minutes yeah. <laughs> uh, listen to us chat crap about so guess, comics and stuff. So yeah. it's I awesome. guess if you are one of those thousand listeners, what we really want to say is thank you. <laughs> yeah. it was the whole reason for bringing We're super the grateful. biggest reason for bringing this up was to say thank you as long as you know which turtles yeah. <laughs> which uh, I'm never going to listen to this again <laughs> <laughs> which uh, brings me on to um, my first comic actually which is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Ghostbusters the Mike is on mute the second outing TMNT Ghostbusters 2 so this is the second time the Turtles and the Ghostbusters have kind of been together, rubbed packs and shells, so to speak. Um, again, it's Eric Burnham and Dan Schooning uh, with Tom Waltz as well. Um, we've also got um, Luis Antonio Delgado and Dave Watcher. So it's the same team as last time, but we're getting like guest artists jumping in um i mean with issue two as well there's a couple of other artists that have jumped on we've got tad galusha um <clears throat> pablo tunica uh mark torres basically every single because the way they've done this is as they move through different dimensions it's a different art style and a different artist so it's another dimension hopping adventure kind of like uh, the first one where they all end up in each other's versions of New York and everything else. Uh, Darius Dunn, who was a boss of a gang in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comics called the Street Phantoms. They're a high-tech gang that are going, that have been going toe-to-toe with the foot in New York. And uh, that arc ended with the death of Darius Dunn. So he's now a literal phantom and he's seeking revenge on the Turtles. Now, we know from previous Ghostbusters comics and from Eric Burnham and Dan Schooning sort of uh, continuity we'll call it that ghosts exist as insulation between dimensions so they're like kind of like the insulation Darius Dunn's sitting there just you know all salty as hell watching the turtles watching Splinter and he's like damn it you know I want my revenge so he calls forth a group of sort of like extra planar beings or demons uh, extra dimensional things called the collectors uh, the collectors are like a d- demonic entities who take away marked people for the price of a summoner's soul and sanity so you can summon them to get people but at the price of your mind and your soul um, <clears throat> these guys come after the turtles the turtles kind of narrowly escape and Donnie uses the turtles version of the portal which is the way they get to the Ghostbusters New York the first time to get to Egon to ask for help. Um, They split into teams with the Ghostbusters, so they pair up. Each one goes through the portal to a different plane. They travel through different planes of existence and different dimensions to try and put the collectors off their scent, basically, while Egon and Donnie work on a solution so they can permanently put the collectors out of action. Um, And... It, I think it's I think it's a really cool story. I, I really like what they do with this. The way they've got like all these like different dimensions and different New Yorks and things like that, and that each dimension is by a different artist as well. Really gives it a feel that you are looking at something different. You're looking at a different place, a different time, a different reality or world or whatever. And it's e- it makes it easier for you to to visualize what's happening. 
um, because it looks different, I guess, which I, re- I really, really like. Um, I like the diversity of the styles in the comics. And, you know, when you've seen, I'm sure you've probably seen a similar technique used in cartoons when you guys have watched cartoons. Um, when people maybe move through different places or countries or worlds and each one is drawn in a different style. Like, they, I've seen it used a lot in cartoons where, like, they go through different art styles, like abstract and surrealism and whatever else, like, all in one episode, just as some kind of, like, um, some sort of reality-altering experiment goes wrong or something like that. Maybe in an episode of Dexter's Lab, I don't know, and this happens over a course of about mm. five or six panels for, like, about three minutes. But, yeah, I mean, to carry on doing this in a weekly book with like different artists for each thing because i think the, the book has been weekly hasn't it because i had one last week and then yeah i think it yeah it has been weekly how do you keep up with a weekly book you buy it every week <laughs> <laughs> simple Touché. simple man you go to the comic book store you, you go to the guy at the counter and you're like yo dude check my folder is my book there and he's like yep here it is no but yeah it's um i, I think it's great and uh, I really like what they're doing. I really like that it's a celebration of Turtles and Ghostbusters. And it it is a celebration of what makes both of them great, to be honest. And the way it brings them together is fantastic. I'm really enjoying it. Especially, like, seeing the Ghostbusters drawn in... Because you've got, like, one point where Leonardo and Winston end up in the 1989 TMNT animated universe... So they end up in the turtle's lair and Winston is drawn as if he'd been drawn in the Fred Wolf style kind of thing. So the Fred Wolf animated turtles kind of thing. And I think that's really cool. I quite like that. And there's a ninja ghost and they fight the ninja ghost. But yeah, it's it's pretty fun. It's turtles, it's Ghostbusters. Of course, I was always going to love it. But I think you guys should pick it up too. Especially um, with issue one as well. The cover being a nod to... You know the, the um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles two live action film the like the early 90s one yeah, yeah. you know the uh, the secret of the ooze poster with the four turtles looking over the broken ooze canister i think it's yeah, a broken yeah. ooze canister it might just be an ooze canister um but it's um <clears throat> yeah it's not it is a broken ooze canister i was right yeah so it's that but they're looking over a ghost trap instead and it's uh yeah, yeah i think i've seen yeah this. and yeah. you've got um the ghostbusters in the background behind them and egon's reading tobin's spirit guide and I just think it's a really cool cover. I like I like that it's an homage to that poster. So do you think this um, works for not just people who have a, a, pass, a passing um, enjoyment historically with Tussle Ghostbusters, but do you think it works for people who are completely like fresh or divorced from this all i think i think you could yeah because it it gives you enough exposition to be able to pick up the book and just read it like as a as a jumping on point i guess so Mm. there's enough exposition there to be able to pick it up and read it and be like okay cool i know what's happening because it explains a lot and uh idw have done this do this really cool thing where they do this what came before thing um at the start of the comic where they have like a quick summary in in uh words and then the comic starts and it also introduces the characters as well so on the uh the um the beginning of the book it will introduce 
each character that appears in the book so it like gives you a quick little background as to who's who so you're not you're never going in cold kind of thing so yeah you could you could pick it up and you would you could know what was happening because you could you you get enough exposition to be able to just pick it up and read and enjoy it which is the cool thing about it as well so yeah that one gets a five out of five for me i think that one was a real treat oh They're always going to get five out of five. It's it's like two two of my two of my favorite writers. It's Tom Waltz and Eric Burnham. Tom Waltz is like a regular Turtles writer in the IDW stuff, and Eric Burnham does all the Ghostbusters stuff. And when those two come together, it's like because they really know how to handle the properties they're working on and the characters. Like they've shown and proven themselves so many times that they know how to write these guys and they know what to do. Um, that when they come together and they write a story like this, how can it go wrong, you know? <laughs> it, it's nice to to hear that um, uh, it, it's all still working and they, they're putting, like, really interesting people on the titles. Oh, this, um, is, yeah, and it, this, is, this is what I love about it. <laughs> it's cool that they're both still about. I mean, I know that we're in a time now of uh, people our age and slightly older have nostalgia for back then, so a lot of the things that we grew up liking are back in the public consciousness. But it is nice that um, both uh, Turtles and uh, Ghostbusters seem to be almost timeless and uh, have uh, endured. They're going strong, and as far as the comics go, they've both got great teams behind them, which I think helps. Um, yeah, the way you describe it makes it sound like it's not like pandering, the way that some things are... No, it's are. not to the nostalgia yeah. factor that Leon just mentioned. It's not, it's not. It's, um, it does have, obviously from time to time it has a little bit of fan service in there. There's like little things. I mean, in some of the first Ghostbusters comics, the Shooning and uh, Burnham ones, um, when you like look at some of the panels, you've got like little, some of the ghosts from the real Ghostbusters just sort of drawn into the background, like spot the, spot the troll from the real Ghostbusters Trollbridge episode or whatever and things like that. But it's just, it's really nice how they do it. And it's it's nice how they, like, obviously they they do different things. And they, they you know, they do change some things like slightly and whatever. But it's never, it's never jarring. And it's never to a point that you would disagree with it. It's not, if, you know, like when you know an established character. And if they suddenly change that character so much that it's not that you know sometimes you get that where they take a character and they change that character so much that it's not that character anymore and you you don't want to read it anymore because you're like oh that's not what i know kind of thing and i i don't you're just so preoccupied with the fact that it's so different that you can't you can't connect with it like you used to be able to whereas with this it's kind of like they've done it they've they've changed it but they've not changed it in so much that it it changes the way you look at these characters and the way you interact with these characters and the way what you take away from these stories and things like that is still fun and it's still it's still the Ghostbusters and it's still the Turtles and it's great and like some of the new additions to the Turtles um, especially with the Turtles continuity some of the new additions to the Turtles characters as well like uh, some of these new characters and mutants that they've added in are fantastic I really like the um, what they've done with the Mutanimals and I like what they've done with um some of the uh especially in the well in the tmnt universe book um especially what they've done with the mutants that hang out with karai which i think is really nice but yeah um 
both both fantastic books so yeah i mean these i mean obviously there's so many comics where they've tried to bring back something from our era our childhoods or whatever and they've missed the mark entirely because they've just it's just not had the quality behind it it's just been really ham-fisted the way they've dealt with it and it's just not had the quality behind it and it's not had the thought process behind it and everything else but these two are still going strong and i think it's it's testament to the fact that they've got decent teams behind them so yeah definitely enjoyed those two um moving on to a new book another new book that i picked up which is on image comics which is the gravediggers union um we've got the story by wes craig and the art by toby cypress and nico guardia now toby cypress is the guy that does the art for retcon so yeah and uh he does the kind of like page five onwards in this book so the first five pages are by the writer Wes Craig and then after that uh Toby Cypress takes over um the cover is also by Wes Craig and um I really like the cover I like the the kind of like in your face green writing and this cloud this black cloud with purple eyes um and like yeah these like angry looking grave diggers they're not even wearing they're not wearing any special equipment they're not you know they're not like special guys that need like uh proton packs or anything like that to fight monsters they literally just have shovels and picks right (laughs) they are grave diggers okay and they are taking on the apocalypse the supernatural apocalypse like the world is ending it's kind of like imagine global warming but if everything like all these superstorms and whatever were like hurricanes made of ghosts and earthquakes caused by zombies coming out of the ground and stuff like that and uh you know the dead rising from the grave and all that mm. kind of stuff so yeah like like obviously this is it's kind of i i think there's the whole line of like global warming running through it like especially in one of the starting panels there's this whole news like a news flash panel and it says like that the, on uh, BizFeed, supernaturalist totally owns ghost denier so it's it's obviously this whole climate change thing and it's like this ghost yeah. disasters and whatever so it's to do with that sounds like a cool take it is on it's it. like a cool take on climate change um and uh, you've got this union uh, these uh, gra- grave diggers which are like overworked underappreciated fighters of the supernatural that sort of keep the peace and save us basically from these guys put these threats back down where they belong like bet- rebury bodies and things like that um and the, but like obviously this the way this book opens so so this is this is like that's the bit where the the, the toby cypress bit starts before that you've got the first five pages which are by wes craig and it's got this kind of like lovecraftian um 2001 space odyssey thing going on because you open it and you are immediately confronted by four panels that sort of show you the universe and space and stars and then you're seeing earth and you're seeing this black mass of eyeballs kind of like a tree type thing in the ground and like you know black writhing mass that seems to be controlling early man you've got these like ape like guys like carrying this green sludge sacks um don't know what they're doing with them but they're carrying them maybe they're feeding this thing and then one guy decides he's going to drop his sludge sack and and he starts shouting uh, obviously 
why he's shouting isn't written because it's like early man grunt and stuff. Um, every, all the others like look at him and then turn on him because they're all being controlled by this thing. So they all turn on him and start like they kill him basically, and then they carry on with what they were doing. And it's just like, and then from there, bam, straight straight into modern day. <laughs> So it's like a weird sort of cold open. Yeah, I, I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to build in the fact that this is something that's been brewing since the dawn of time, and we've we've been had this like um, whatever this force is is still on Earth and it's still beneath the surface and it's bubbling away, kind of thing. Um, and the book ends with um, one of the grave diggers basically has to seek out a witch. To, to help figure out what's going on because there are witches but when we're, we're uh the the grave diggers are forbidden from interacting with witches even though witches you know are, are helpful from time to time opposite sides of the of the you know the, the rails or whatever but they're helpful from time to time uh, so he decides he's got to seek out a witch and i think this witch is his own daughter but obviously we'll find out in issue two um so yeah it's it's a great book um it's a great story i like the lovecraftian horror i like the um the the cold open i love the cold open and i love this i'd want more of the these silent panels basically of these early man creatures like doing this thing's bidding i think that's brilliant um i like the monster designs because and, and the, the, the fantastic grotesqueness of it and you know it's like the comedic horror as well with some of these monster designs and the way they fight these monsters and with it being the artist from retcon it's one of the things that i also loved about retcon um the fact that he because of his sort of like his abstract and like sort of his abstraction uh, his style the way he draws and the surrealism and the looseness of it when he does his monster designs they come across really grotesque and really really graphic and cool which is what i like about this as well some of the monster designs in it are fantastic and the first five pages as well like wes craig's art it's obviously totally different to toby cypress wes craig's art in those first five pages really nails down the tone because you've got like these like this like bright red sky and volcano in the background and everything's in shadow you know Everything, everything is black and green, apart from this bright red backdrop and this bright red, bright red sky, and these piercing yellow eyes bubbling away, and this black mass in the background, and it's just brilliant. As soon as I opened this book, I was just like, "Yeah." <laughs> <laughs> it does sound very much up your alley. It is, yeah. It's just this whole cosmic horror of it. The, the, this basically, I get the impression that this huge, strange entity is going to be pulling the strings and is the source of all the supernatural torment in the world. But we'll see what happens. Um, <clears throat> so that one's, a, it's just, that one's another straight shooter. So if you're looking for a decent new book to pick up, I'd recommend Gravedigger's Union. Uh, Batman Lost is the next one on my list. So again, like the, the segue here, because we're getting some huge cosmic demonic force going from one possibly cosmic demonic force to another cosmic demonic force which is within batman lost which this being part of the dc metal event so as if you've listened to previous shows i've talked about dc metal um i've talked about what i'm enjoying about these comics and things like that and like this is kind of like a it's a batman history lesson 
and it's also showing us what is happening while the events of metal thus far have unfolded. So the art is by Oliver Copiel and Bengal. The cover is by Bengal and it is written by Scott Snyder. The cover itself, I've got the uh, the book in front of me here. You've got like the uh, the giant bat basically sitting in kind of like, uh, I don't know, red flames behind Batman. Batman with a batarang ready. Um, he's trying to make his way through the dark multiverse and find a way back basically in this book. Um, Barbatos is playing with his head. So we start off, we've got like a vision of the future. We've got old Bruce Wayne telling his granddaughter a story. And he's got all of these like famous Batman stories because he's like, I'd forget them if I didn't write them down. And she goes over to the bookshelf and there's all the Batman stories lined up on the bookshelf. And you've got Nightfall, you've got like Hush, you've got all, you know, like all these Batman stories lined up. Mm. So imagine it like, <laughs> like, like someone's comic library lined up on the shelf. Yeah, and uh, That's yeah, it, cool. it starts with a window. So we all know about the window, right? I mean, if you think about Batman Year One, where the bat comes crashing through the window, and that's how Batman decides to be a bat. Hmm. Um, yeah, it's like it, it's it's all comes back to that, and that bat is supposedly Barbatos. It's all Barbatos is doing. Barbatos has decided that he was, you know, from the very start, he's been grooming Batman to become Batman, um, and it, it brings in. Uh, basically batman gets to look from the outside in on stories that he's taken part in so like on his own history basically and you get visions of the future as well but the most interesting ones that stuck out to me is the mention of the first ever batman story so you've got like the first we get shown the first ever batman story basically um because this is the one that his uh his granddaughter chooses and it is the case of the chemical syndicate which was the the first printed Batman story in Detective Comics number 27, which was May 1939. So that's where it opens, and it's Batman talking about his first ever story, and we've got like a, a costume design within those panels that is a riff on that first costume design. Um, you also get the uh, a look at, you know, the um, when I talked about uh, Dark Knight, Dark City, because I read it because mm. of the mention of Barbatos in that, where they were trying to summon Barbatos under Gotham, and then the Riddler gets the idea that he's going to do that. And he's been preparing Batman via various trials to become like the vessel for Barbatos, to allow Barbatos into our world. And that, he gets to see that as well. He gets to see the first part of that where you've got the people in, I think it was like the 1800s or the early 1900s or something. Um, do it performing a ritual underneath a house in Gotham in a basement and then seeing something outside being spooked because I've obviously seen the demon being spooked and locking the young girl that they were going to sacrifice in the basement forever which Batman then stumbles across the skeleton during the Dark Knight Dark City story but he, he he's like looking out from the outside in at that and it's Batman trying to get his mind back and trying to get through the dark multiverse clawing his way back to back to our world back to earth zero um but obviously you know you'd have to buy the book to find out whether he manages to do it or not <laughs> it sounds a bit like batman a christmas carol yes and no 
<clears throat> ghosts of Batman's past. Yes and no. It's it's more which we've already kind of had in one of the Halloween stories. Yeah, yeah, that was like Batman a Halloween Carol, but hmm. um, it's more. Um, it's not like that. It's like they take him back to the dawn of time and they show him warring tribes at the dawn of time, like the bat and the hawk and everything else, and the, or the bat and the bird, and like they show him like uh, the future with um, like Damian Wayne and they show him uh, another future with gangs of um, or is this maybe from I think that's from another Batman story actually I think I'm just getting confused now but they show him all kinds of stuff like the Court of Owls and everything like they basically just shows you and lists what's been happening behind the scenes the whole time so this is this is Barbatos saying all these times everything that has happened in all these various universes and whatever everything i have controlled it all i've been preparing you this whole time to be my vessel to allow me into this world and this is what's happening to batman while he's missing while everything is going on in the main metal story so it's it's, i I was i was blown away by it actually i was really i i thought it was really cool the way that it uses batman history and the way that it uses old batman stories like that and manages to kind of like knit them together i thought i thought that was pretty i thought it was something do you find it um, like them using this sort of, you know, not retconny, but like going back to the history? Do you find that um, like an effective uh, way to explore the Batman mythos and character, or does it feel a bit retconny for retconny's sake? It doesn't feel retconny at all, because I don't think it's retconny in the fact that what he's doing is he's just using moments that people have already said is Barbatos or Barbatos or people have theorised is Barbatos and what he's doing is he's just knitting it all together and it's kind of like Batman looking from the outside in and seeing seeing it happen as it happened in the original comic but then Barbatos just saying over the top of it you see this is why I did this whatever and whatever else kind of thing in narration um, so I don't I don't think it's retconny at all I think it's actually clever the way that Snyder has gone back through Batman history and picked out specific moments and then knitted them together as some kind of preparation of Batman for what's now unfolding in the metal event. I thought I thought that was quite cool the way they did that. And I think that is an effective way to explore Batman as well, to explore the story and explore the mythos. Yeah, definitely. To explore the character himself. Is this just one issue or is it a whole It's one book? issue. And do you know how is it like a ongoing run? No. Because it sounds like the kind of thing I want to pick up. Because I get the feeling that I would probably disagree with you on this. Because I tend not to like these stories where not they've not retconned it, but they've retroactively tried to stitch together a story by picking out their favourite parts. And sometimes it feels really cheap. And if it's done well, it can be really, really effective. So I, I definitely want to check this out based on it's, that, just to see how I feel about it. It's done pretty well. I think it's done pretty well. There's a huge team on the book, like huge team. Like, it's not just Snyder. Like, Snyder's, like, the main guy, and obviously the main artist mm. is Copiel and Bengal. But it, because it's part of the Dark Knight's metal stuff, and it's a tie-in for metal. So it's not an ongoing thing or anything like that. It's just it's just a one-shot tie-in for Dark Knight's metal. And it explains okay. what's happening to Batman as the rest of the metal events are unfolding. But I just, I just really connected with it and thought it was really cool and just liked being shown Batman's history and having it all knitted together and being told, look, it's all Barbatos. I kind of like this Barbatos thing. You know, I like the fact that Batman is Batman because a demon told him to. 
But how are your thoughts uh, currently on where, on how uh, DC Metal is going? Are you um, are you positive on the whole thing so yeah, far? Because um... <clears throat> I've only read the, the real, like the beginning, beginning, and I'm sort of waiting on the sidelines for some big things to collect up yeah. and seeing what happens when the dust settles before I jump. So back I've been in. reading it as it happens, and I've been enjoying it. I've been. I've been enjoying um I've been enjoying the story so far. I've been I've been getting on with it pretty well. Uh I think it will be good to read it all binge it all at once once it's all there. Because I think I'll probably get a different impression of it if I binge it all together rather than reading it one by one like I have been doing. Mm. So if I binge it all in order because there's going to be a specific order to it. So if I binge it all in order when it's all out and I get the events in place rather than reading it one by one as it comes out. And I mean, I'm, I'm getting the idea of what fits where and everything, but it's always better to binge it all together. So once it's all together, I will binge it all together and I will be able to tell you exactly how good it is. But at the moment, I'm really enjoying it and I'm just reading it one by one. So, But yeah, no, I'm, I, think, I think it's a good... I think as far as events go, this, for me, this has been one of like the better big events in recent years, like as far as comic events go, so... I'm, I'm definitely enjoying this one. That's a positive sign, definitely. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like, I I read Venomverse, and while Venomverse was big, stupid fun, it it was, you know, wasn't anything compared to this. <laughs> this is this is meticulously put together, meticulously thought out, and it's stuff that Snyder has been working towards since his days writing the new 52 Batman stuff. So... Because it's all there as well in the new Fifty Two Batman. It's thing. It's something that he's been building up to. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm. It, it's something that he's been thinking about for a very long time, and you can tell, like, through how meticulously put together it is, and how, how well he's worked it all out. So I'm impressed. I do like it, and I'm eagerly awaiting um, the reveal of the Batman who laughs. Because we're gonna get we're gonna oh, get yes, his, we're gonna yes. get his one shot. Um, Looking forward to that. Soon. That might be when I jump back <coughs> on. Yeah, because I want to see what makes him tick. We've seen what makes the other Batman tick. I just want to see what well the other Dark Knights should I say they are Batman, but evil twisted versions of Batman. I just want to see what makes him tick. Now, um, my favorite one of the ones that we've been shown so far is the Merciless, which is the Wonder Woman one. Oh yeah, that one's really cool. So yeah. Um, I guess that's uh, from one pretty good DC outing because DC are doing quite well at the moment in my books anyway. So uh, that's that's one pretty good DC book, decent DC outing in Dark Knight's Metal. Uh, we move on to another which is kind of taking the comic world by storm. People love this and we love this. It's Mister Miracle. Mister Miracle. Mister Miracle, indeed. So Leon, this is oh, it's so good. Oh man, yeah, more than good. It's Tom King and Mitch Jared's good. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> so this is something that um, you uh, were sort of wanting to talk about, Leon, wasn't it? So yeah, I mean, um, as far as I know, we're all up to date with what, what, what um, what's out so far. So there's four issues out. But yeah, um, Mister Miracle, uh, written by Tom King and the art by done by uh, Mitch Gerards, who've spoken about it bunch on the show already but um it's definitely proceeding in a very 
interesting way and it's um continuing to surprise um and amaze me because like a couple of episodes ago when reading earlier issues there was the fair after the first issue that for all its weird existential um madness i was scared that oh in issue two it'd become more conventional and then issue two comes and um we're getting the beginnings like of the engagement of like a war storyline but all of this is still through the lens of this quite internal psychological um odyssey that uh scott free is uh, is going on and uh issues three and four um just continue that but uh, continue to sort of build the world but in a very personal way so we're not getting as much sort of cutaways or like jumping to other characters we're, most of the time we are sticking with uh uh, Mr. Miracle himself, and like we often have frames like centered on him, uh, or like the nine panel structure, um, just like centered on him, um, with the rest of the world, uh, sort of on the sides as he s- sort of not meanders, but as he sort of just sort of struggles forth with all the stuff that's boiling in his head. And uh, it's just it's done so well, and I think the the voice on this is quite unique. I mean, issues three and four, uh, I'm not going to go into deep, deep detail, but they, they cover some some interesting um, ground where in uh, issue three, we get uh, more of an idea of like class and how uh, certain people in this, uh, in this structure are more, uh, more likely to uh, are being killed off quicker and o- almost being used as like, uh, frontline sacrificial lambs in the war effort and you get this whole sort of uneasiness in this alliance um, to battle these uh, these dark side forces and like on the side of this war like no one's really uh, of, of the mains uh, no one's really likeable and Orion has proven himself to be that, that typical type of uh, like leader who like the power just goes to their head and there's like levels of inadequacy there and all all, all other types of issues and they're the very uh, complicated histories that both uh, him and uh, Scott have uh, just way up and all of these and all of this is brought together really well with the the art uh, Gerard's art which is at times like warped and rainy and like flecked and obfuscating yeah but also <clears throat> quite like sharp and uh personal and uh like like not cartoony and i think it's really effective in sort of connecting you with this story because in a way still this story is quite dizzying um that we don't have the full picture yet so we're constantly bouncing between stuff from Scott's view, really, and uh, sometimes it's hard to tell the timeline on some things, and, and sometimes it's hard to tell uh, what's in Scott's head and what's happening. Um, but 
you, you sort of stay invested in the ride because they're building the characters uh, to be quite uh, relatable and uh, like like uh, fully formed. Um, so I, I, I'm in, uh, like I'm still quite heavily invested in this, and it's it's been a comic that I do like look forward to uh, each month, and they're just like such like funny little asides and like weird things that they set up where you have like really dark things uh, and then the tone is sort of not really undercut but punctuated by like weird comedy so like there's a, a very tense uh, interrogation scene which is amazingly um, like structured and set out and it's uh, like a set of questions and like rapid fire and if answer true or false and like the, the lives hang in the balance of this, and like midway through, there's a uh, a buzz at the door, and uh, like a character goes and collects a package. Just like midway through, and like it just stuff like that, and like Scott's sort of a nonchalant aloofness with like what could be like really jeopardizing situations are like. I know it, it's so it's so weird. It, like you just want to spend spend time here, and they're like such odd lines. Like, have you ever seen the face of a god? Have you ever seen the face of a god? Like, <laughs> I I know it's it's one of those comics that's doing a really good job of, like I was saying, everyone having a voice. So like when I'm reading it, uh, each character, even if we're only seeing them for like maybe. Uh, a couple panels each issue I'm getting a, a more of a sense of who they are because um, like I've only really dabbled really with New God stuff and know more of it know more about mm. it anecdotally yeah. than I do from like, like digging into the actual issues so it's um, I assume there's extra benefit if you've got uh, sort of uh, any encyclopedia knowledge of that, but as someone who doesn't have that and knows it more in passing and in reference, it still works because I know there's a bond there. I know there's a history there. Yeah, but um, yeah, ultimately, it's like it's it's given me what I want from a comic because I think it's and I probably said it before. It's demonstrating an interesting way to explore characters who are. Godlike, who are sort of out of this world, and um, it does really bounce between the like internal dread and sort of not knowing yourself and not knowing what what lies inside you, with like big out of this world life change, well, galaxy changing events. So um, yeah, I mean, what what have you guys been thinking so I mean, far? I've I've been really enjoying it. I I really like kind of how psychological it is, how it gets in your head, and how uncomfortable it is watching what Scott Free is going through. You know, like he's been mm. like he's been really put through the ringer here, man. Like because he he doesn't know whether he's well or not. He doesn't know whether he's he he thinks he's crazy, and everybody wants him to stand up and carry on standing up and carry on fighting and he can't do it and it's just 
like we're just watching him slowly disintegrate and especially in number four as well like issue four where as you said like they've got everyone in the living room and they're having the trial and there's a great moment that i like is where he gets up and grabs a carrot from the the, the veg platter <laughs> <laughs> tips it in the hummus i quite I quite enjoyed that bit i'm getting a carrot but like it's like the formality and then at the same time it's the informality of it all you know and well it's like leon said he's made there's these situations he's in which are like life-changing life-threatening or jeopardizing to the situation yeah. and he's so nonchalant about the position that he's being put in because he's kind of just floating through this life that he's not entirely sure that he wants anymore yeah. i think that's a running theme about yeah. his his self he just doesn't care in, yeah yeah, and he or well, we don't know. It feels like he just doesn't care about his circumstances, mm. and the way that these things come across, like making the decision to have this trial in his own living room, and just the strangeness of this big grand thing that's happening in a really mundane setting, and these de- the, the decisions that the writers make for this are really interesting. Like normally, like because it talks about it uses the term paranoid pill yeah. a lot. And I think that really resonates with me. Like, there's something about this work that makes me feel paranoid just it reading is. it in a really good yeah. way. Um, like, I feel dislocated while I'm reading it because, like Leon said, it hops around through the different time periods or, you know, you're never quite 100% sure of the timeline mm. or whether things are real or not. Based on, sometimes the framing is really clever. Like, when um, when Scott Free's talking to somebody sat on his couch, but there's a panel divider between him and the person he's talking to. And it kind of gives you this sense that maybe he's there or maybe he's not like it's, it's open to you to interpret what that Mm. means. And normally I don't like this kind of dislocation paranoia in other mediums. Um, Like for example, in TV, I think something that has a, in some ways similar vibes like Mr. Robot, which I may have talked about before where it really didn't work for me because I felt like it wasn't respectful of my time. Whereas in a comic book or in literature, where it, when it's giving you this this paranoid vibe, you can take it at your own pace. And I think with this comic especially, like you can take your time pouring over all the details and just like drinking it in. And just the way that it takes you out of yourself, I think it's super... Legion kind of does this a little bit as well. If you ever see the TV show Legion. Which is another one that Leon's been getting on me to watch, yeah. so I'll definitely give that a try. Yeah, yeah Legion is, is definitely that. Like, this is one that I've said when recommending it to uh, to you, Rahul, mm. where uh, it's like, I don't know if you're going to like it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll certainly give it a try. But... Yeah, it's definitely worth it. I think, I, think it. I prefer Legion to Mr. Robot. If, when I've watched the two. Yeah, I'd yeah. say so as but well. this... I get the feeling I will yeah. just from the subject. But matter. this this yeah. book is um it's just this this issue particularly issue 4. I mean I can't I can't talk too much about it in too much detail because I'd spoil it for you guys. But it's like when when uh, Leon was talking about the questioning that was happening like these these quick fire questions that are designed to take him in a certain direction and make him t- come to certain conclusions and put him in a certain predicament because he's the escape artist that he is um it, it's you know it's almost like it's almost like orion is testing him like escape from this you know get out of this one kind of thing. Mm-hmm. like put him put him in in rather than trying to escape from physical bonds and things like that he's trying to escape from some kind of like verbal, verbal trap. trap yeah yeah like being led down this yeah, path yeah yeah he had yeah because he's being yeah he's being guided yeah. down to the wrong and answer. i really i 
it's just really enjoyed the way that the whole book is laid out and the fact that most of it is in that that nine panel format yeah which i just love and it's it's, yeah it doesn't even need to do much it doesn't even need to change you know it, it doesn't need to it's all taking place in one room majority of it is taking place in one room which is what i i love comics that do that um i just want to shout out um the uh some of the the meta commentary i think it's in issue three where it's like uh dark side is which uh happens to pop up on panels quite a lot especially in the first uh two issues and uh he starts thinking about it and he's just like dark side is like and he's just like i bet it doesn't mean anything But it just sounds cool. Well, <laughs> <laughs> that was a, a pretty nice little wink that, yeah. towards uh, what we're doing. Um, also, the the cover for, for the big Bardo. There's an yeah. orc cover. Uh, well, yeah, it's like Bardo's the main cover, but the orc cover for four, which is um, sort of profile shot of uh, of Mister Miracle in in the where well, he's got the colours on, but um, where his brain would be is it's like drawn like chemical reactions with like crazy color like but behind the yellow you've got like uh green and red like the colors but they're all done in a sort of like bubbly reaction and it then it 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 floats past the back of his head and i thought it's such a great uh visualization of um what's going on in the book so yeah i'm quite a fan of that what 100 percent? so abstract as well like if you glance at it you're not you could almost like not understand what it's trying to be until you kind of hold it at arm's length yeah and it's, yeah. it's like the, the bubbles and things are like a riff on Kirby Dots. Mm. Which I just, you know, I, I Kirby Crackle, which I, I really I really like that cover. But unfortunately, I haven't got the old cover. I've got the standard cover, which is just as cool because it's a kind of mugshot of Big Barda and the staff in front of her face. And I, uh, I think it's a really cool cover anyway, so I'm happy with that one. <laughs> um, so um, you guys read anything else? Yeah, um, I'll, I'll quickly run through uh, my next one, which uh, is Titans, The Wonderful World of Tank Girl, Tank Girl Strikes Again. Um, so I saw this come up on a list of uh, recently released, and I read some some Tank Girl in the past, like many, many moons ago, um, and I thought, oh, I wonder what uh, Tank Girl's up to now, and if she's still culturally relevant because for me it feels like a very sort of 90s ideal with a cool sort of like punk badass uh like action heroine who just uh shoots shoots first and doesn't talk or or just quips so i want to know where what was up and then i noticed uh, that one of the writers on the story is alan martin who is the co-creator of uh tank girl along with uh Jamie Hewlett of Tank Girl slash Gorillas fame. So um, I thought, okay, uh, this will be interesting. I mean, if the creator's still writing it, like, has he still got uh, new juice? And yeah, it's, it's quite um, quite an interesting book. I mean, it really does feel... It's, it's weird tone-wise, but because it does feel like a sort of fun teen book. And you've got like the crew, you've obviously the aforementioned Tank Girl, you've got Bugo, who's like the dog-like, uh, dog-like dude, Jet Girl and Sub Girl. And 
they're they've got a got a little heist uh, heist planned and things go uh, awry and pear shaped and all manners of like wrong and but it's weird because the tone has this still like fun sort of riding rockets and driving tanks about and things blowing up and like great gunfire onomatopoeia like duffer duffer smacker smacker bracker bracker and like you have like surfboard guns it's like it's, it's ridiculous but it's like it's ridiculous fun but it's just weird because the the tone of it and the art style are sort of what you'd feel like ah oh, this is like teen it's teen rated but i think like this is this is tank girl this ain't teen rated <laughs> yeah and then later on it gets like really brutal but jumps back and forth between like brutal torture but also like like fun crazy like we don't need to reload like backflips in the air and smashing through the wall shooting and it's like it somehow successfully marries those tones it's it's, an, it's a really odd book but um it has shades of what i remember of the tone but of tank girl before but like it feels a bit more modernized in some ways while also still feeling like uh uh like a fragment of of the past uh so um yeah it's 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 an odd book and like the way the characters talk it is that whole classic like rhymey uh cutesy talking uh, and a lot of uh like weird anecdotes and like silly names so like the main antagonist of this book is a dude called Ronnie Dosmond and he, he's <laughs> the one they're going to rob and he caught his willy in a revolving door um, that's why and, he's scared of banks because he yeah <laughs> and um, they really um, frame it as being just this this, this crazy uh, this crazy adventure that uh I mean, because this is, feels like it's a one-shot mm. and it, it, it's just a, a weird, weird hijinks that they pretty much wrap stuff up for this particular story in the issue. Um, and it has quite a lot of dark humour. But yeah, it's like, I wasn't expecting or, or, or more so I was forgetting about the brutality and it, it, it really is like so like Guantanamo <laughs> like, uh, like brutal like torture, but I know it's fun. Like I'm unsure if I would continue with it more so just because, like, I'm, I'm more into sort of serialized storytelling. So if there's a, a big story, I might be drawn in more. But um, yeah, as, as a one-off, I'm, I'm unsure if I'd go back. But I would recommend uh, people read this issue just because, again, it's this just irreverent, offbeat, sort of classic. Uh, tank girl but in a sort of 2017 skin so yeah, it's, it's worth it's worth giving it a read um and just uh sort of floating away and just spending some time with these crazy people yeah, I, I had a quick read of it and i enjoyed it I, I i read through it and i thought i thought it was great fun it was just like a, a really loud really fun really punk yeah in your face comic and it's what you want and it's it's like it's like it's really british as well yeah yeah (laughs) which i think i enjoyed about it as well the fact that it's just you know i quite like it when i see things that are overtly british in comics as in like british humor and stuff because i think it it 
Um, but it's obviously because we're we're British, so we're gonna we're gonna you know it's nice to see that British humour has a place in the medium, and it's nice to mm. see it working so well and being so popular. Yeah, and it's, it's nice that they've not uh, tried to sanitise uh, the character. Exactly, yeah. But like, um, I have to give a shout out to Chris Wall's um, alternative cover, which has Tank Girl uh, as the main focus, um, but and like the rest of her team are like little uh, cherubs sort of brushing her hair and applying plasters. <laughs> so it's, it's a pretty cool image. Like, it is a uh, nice cover. Yeah, I think we're, we're, we're in an age where we're, we're spoiled for, like, poster-worthy covers. Yeah, everything. Everything for the past, like, past couple of weeks, actually. There's a few comics I've bought that I would, like, you know, I could blow that up and stick it on a poster. I would love a print of that to hang on my wall kind of thing, you know. Like, um, the, the Mr. Miracle covers you mentioned... Um, and I really enjoyed that that turtles cover I talked about, where it's basically yeah. the secret of the ooze, but with added Ghostbusters. And um, I guess the uh, the main Mister Miracle cover as well, the, the uh, Big Barder one would be nice as a poster. Um, there's a few really cool Batman covers that they've had actually um, from the uh, the the Dark Knights the Metal Dark Knights ones the Dark Knights one shots the covers on those have been pretty cool especially the uh, the dawnbreaker cover would be one that i'd want with the uh it's sort of standing there kind of like jesus christ cross prose type thing with like all of his uh dark um shadow creations behind him because whereas a normal lantern would use that ring to create things out of light he uses his for shadow which i think is really cool um but yeah, no, I'm so yeah, definitely, definitely a year for poster worthy covers. I think. Um, anybody got anything left on the list? <laughs> right. So uh, we've all read number one with a bullet. Is it is right? yes. <clears throat> okay. Um, uh, I believe this was Leon's suggestion, um, or he was the initiator for this one. Do you have any initial thoughts on that, Leon? I do. But uh, yeah, no. Um... Yeah, like to following on from what you were saying, uh, Greg, in terms of uh, poster-worthy covers, the uh, the cover for Number One of Bullet image is a new comic written by Jacob uh, Semain or Saman, um, and the artist is uh, Jorge Corona. And I'm going to give shout-outs to the colorist Jen Hickman and the letter and designer Steve uh, Wands because. All of these guys are uh, like doing overtime on on the presentation of this comic. I mean, the cover has this cool sort of uh, it's close up of the uh, lead character's face, Nash Huang, um, and it's all like purple, purpley fuchsia. And anyone who's listened to the show knows I love my purple and fuchsia type colors. But then over her eyes, she's got like these sort of virtual green hands and i mean in ways it's a heavy-handed metaphor for what it feels like the book's going to be about but it is it's a striking image nonetheless but um just to briefly go over the plot it it's it's basically about a production assistant at a tech company who 
lives lives her life in in this sort of digital uh, social media led world, um, pretty similar to what we we we're, we're living <laughs> in reality. Um, but then um, things take a uh, dark turn uh, while she's out with some friends. Um, and ultimately, the first issue ends with, uh, like, not going into super detail, but there, it's a story that feels like it's going in the direction of revenge porn and um, the, this, the theft and uploading of, uh, like, personal uh, videos and images and... Like the whole presentation of this book, uh, even at, right at the beginning uh, on the inside of the cover, where you have uh, like all the art, all, all the all the people who've worked on the comic, it shows their Twitter handles, and uh, there's like bubbles, or like or like tweet-like and Instagram-esque um, boxes, um, and it is very much seems to be asking the question of like. Um, like, is there no longer jurisdiction on uh, personal data? And it's explicit in in talking about uh, our our current ours as in society's current outlooks on this. So there's a lot of talk uh, before, um, like the, the characters discussing someone whose emails have been hacked, and uh, because. Um, the person who's a tangential friend said something racist in there. They're having a whole debate on, like, uh, who's the real victim. Um, and the lead character um, has been uh, is pretty much victim blaming, saying like, "This is the world we live in now. There's people who hack, so you're silly to put up there." Which is uh, similar to a lot of the um, things that we heard in the media in like in in 2014 and beyond. Then with the the big uh, I, uh, iCloud um, like hacks of a lot of celebrities' personal pictures that were, were uploaded, and it was deemed uh, what was the Reddit name the Fappening. So like um, it, it it's covering a lot of that ground, but it's it's done in an interesting frame because the this is a world where you have like uh, contact lenses which can like film video and stuff and it's it set like 20 minutes in the future in in some ways and it's dealing with how we as a society will relate to that stuff and how we will um like what do, what does that world look like um when like privacy is like one one hack away from a not not uh, not existing and this all a really sort of 90s MTV-esque style with like lots of bold colour um, so one of the earlier panels has like uh, an earlier pages has a very popping Watchmen yellow going on that I, I, I very much appreciate but it does remind me of um, like an Aeon Fluxy The Max type cartoon but also there's like a lot of shades of um, like anime in there as well Um maybe like Dead Leaves-esque um, animation style. So, yeah, it's, it's quite um, quite an interesting book. And 
they um it's a very much an image book as well which uh if you read image books you know what the sort of connotation there is like positively like as this very sort of not punk but it's very sort of indie feel of like uh we're going to do something cool and we got a message and like you're gonna want to read this because the cover looks awesome and has purple on it like that is very much like the image template for the comics that i like that they do which is a, a long list but um yeah no it, it it seems like it's touching on a lot of these issues um like i was saying before um in terms of the leaking of data but it's also how what it's like being a woman in uh, surrounded in these issues from a lot of the conversations uh, that nash has with people and like her boss seems kind of like sleazy when she mentions that she's going uh going home to her girlfriend and he makes a sort of he said he has a sort of sleazy tone about all oh, lesbians type thing and it's um sh- uh, the first panels of the of the the book are her on a tv show with her boss and they're like demoing this uh, ar technology using the um the the the, the new contact lenses and um she's uh, she's at home with her girlfriend watching jaws um being a complete douche by the way like just mm-hmm. on twitter the whole time but yeah and she's like looking at all the replies and they are the classic oh that uh, oh there is a woman um i'm gonna make some like gross uh gross comments on these so and it, it's very much quite a, a cool exploration of that while not really doesn't really feel preachy instead it, it just seems like it's um texture for the world because that's, that's I mean, it feels in, very so, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, it, like it doesn't feel foreign. Yeah. Um, uh, but what it's done is by giving this it, this cool sort of tech sci future angle, um, it's, it feels like it's dealing with what the implications of a lot of these things are going to be. And I think that the um, the presentation of the art is really cool. There's, there's often a lot of um, where like it's like the page is blank and the panels are sort of cut out at uh, obtuse angles. Um, and it's almost like a storyboard for a, like, um, uh, not live action, but like an animation mm. um, where there's like uh, jumps in action. So it's not like it's following on and setting up, but um, it really does give you a sense of um, like place and, yeah. um, and time which is which is quite cool but um overall um i recommend this um i definitely say the first issue is worth a read because it has a nice uh hook towards the mm. end and there's um there's some weirdness in there and i always appreciate some weirdness um and it feels like it's about this thing um but it also feels like it's more and the only downside i'd say of the issue, this issue has nothing to do with the comic side of it but there is like a little letter by the writer sort of talking about his intentions and with stuff like that i mean i can un- i can understand why it's there but i'd rather that be like some interview that he's done elsewhere or like um i don't know supplementary materials for the trade because i'd rather like he, he just speak through the book yeah which um which i was yeah. picking up but he get he gets more uh explicit and overt about some of his in, in intentions yeah. there so uh but yeah, I'd, I'd recommend it. Uh, give it a read. Well, what do you guys I, think? I I really enjoyed it. I mean, it, it made me feel uncomfortable, which I think was its goal. Because 
because I'm I'm quite you know when it comes to you know being online and sharing your information and things like that I'm quite a, a paranoid person where stuff like this is concerned you know like the whole the kind of, the, the kind of the, the, the barrier between your privacy and what the world can see is so thin and so yeah. easily breakable so fragile and I it's something that I think about on a regular basis actually and then to have it put in front of me in a comic it, it set me off <laughs> <laughs> but no no i i enjoyed the book i enjoyed it but i'm yeah I, i'm not sure if i've got the stomach to carry on reading it that's the problem because it's it makes me feel uncomfortable but it makes me feel uncomfortable in a good way i guess it re- reminds me that you know i need you need to be careful of this kind of stuff because you do um because it, it happens to it happens to everyone your, your personal information is all there for everyone it's like i mean i'm i guess this is I don't know, I, I don't back things up onto clouds or anything or, you know, I don't do that. And this is exactly why I don't do that. You know, I I, I don't trust <laughs> anything like that. Um, but I mean, I, I, what I thought was cool about the artwork was, especially at the beginning when they're in the television studio and the abstraction of it and the fact that the uh, the audience are reduced to these really like devious looking grins. He's cackling mm. demons on, on like black shadow background, yeah, and it's just like Jesus, that's so good, so true. When you watch these kinds of things on TV and whatever, and it's like the whole sort of uneasiness of it, like like her demoing this tech is like ritual humiliation. Because, yeah, that, that's why I was getting yeah. that real sort of dead leaves ish vibe. Yeah, and and the the but like even down to the like the way she's treated by her boss, like her demoing this tech is ritual humiliation, and it's like the world it's they're using her as some kind of clown and she's she's an object and she's being treated as an object and then that comes up again with the twitter feed like you talked about um the, the whole world is is viewing her as this kind of like um this, this this object or whatever kind of thing rather than as a person which is uncomfortable and it it goes in i guess the writer goes into that a little bit in his uh his little letter at the end as well in the way that we seem to have stripped the humanity away from everything and we are just the sum of what we upload and leave behind our digital trail so to speak and that we as people don't seem don't seem to be factored into it when our our private information is released in that way we you don't I mean, you, you bring up the point of you don't upload stuff to the cloud but like you don't know what's going into the cloud and nash the main character in this seems like extremely blasé about what she puts out into the yeah. world and i think one thing we haven't covered um i don't know if you guys were deliberately avoiding this for spoilers but there is a a slightly more sinister theme going on like right in the very first page so i don't feel like it's a spoiler but it starts with what looks to be the suicide of Nash's number one fan, which I think is partly where the title comes from, your number one, number one with a bullet. And I wonder where that ties in to this whole... Like, it kind of gives me vibes of Black Mirror, because you talk about the ritualistic humiliation reminds me of one of the episodes from season two, It is, it two, is very Black Mirror. 
Yeah. yeah, and the 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 recording from the contact lenses is very much like uh, the entire history of you. I think from season one of Black Mirror, yeah. there's a lot of this, like Leon said, twenty minutes into the future, sinister underpinnings of modern technology. And yeah, I'm I'm really curious to see where this goes and if it takes it into its own direction. Which I mean, instead of yeah. sorry, I was I interrupted you there. Carry on. <laughs> no, just to say, instead of taking from things that have already existed, like Black yeah. Mirror, I want to see if it has its own spin on the on the topic. See, my the thing that I found interesting as well is the fact that this 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 uh, t- contact lens technology. Um, Sony have actually filed a patent for that apparently. So it's not something that's entirely out. I mean, it seems super futuristic and super, you know, it's not something that when I read about it, it just seems, it doesn't seem attainable. It seems like something that I will will probably never see in my lifetime when I read about things like contact lens technology. But then I forget that, you know, like as, as I'm reminded at the end of the book that Sony have filed a patent for this. This is a thing that people are actually working on, you know. So yeah, the 20 minutes into the future thing. It's all very real. Absolutely, Sony aren't the only ones who own no, obviously property, not, but like intellectual yeah. property on this. And you will see this in your lifetime. Yeah. It's, it's just something, it makes me uncomfortable. I don't know why it makes me uncomfortable. It just does. The things like this always make me uncomfortable. It's terrifying. Things like this are terrifying to me. They always make me uncomfortable. You know. Because when we look at our, uh, our mobile phones and we, again, like you said, we don't think we're uploading stuff to a server, but we're constantly uploading something to a server. And if you have something seeing your point of view constantly and recording it to an unknown entity that's that's the stuff of horror in my yeah, eyes i don't like that at all <laughs> <laughs> keep your eyes closed yeah. craig just all the time <laughs> no i yeah no it's, it's not good for me stuff like this it really isn't <laughs> it's really not good for me well one quick point i wanted to make was i was really intrigued by the title because i didn't really understand where it fit in until i went back and looked at the first page um but i like the idea that Number one with a bullet can mean a fast-moving, um, uh, like, single song on the Billboard charts. So, like, it's rising quickly to the top. So that kind of fits in with this theme of this data that can run away from you and spread to people without any control. And also it's impossible to stop. Like, you can't stop it from hitting number one. You can't stop this information from being spread to everybody that you know. I, I thought that was kind of clever. Yeah, nice. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I think... There's a lot of uh, fertile uh, ground to be explored with this comic, if done right. Mm. 100%. I am I was impressed with this first issue, um, and I am interested to see where it goes. And it does make me feel uncomfortable in the best possible way. So, yeah. I like stuff that actually, that actually does things like that to me. So, yeah. No, definitely, I will be, I will be warm to watch. So, um, Ray... The Beautiful Death. Yeah, so this is a comic that I picked up a couple of months ago. So now we've got issues one and two available. And I believe issue three is out on the 15th of November, which is when this podcast should air. Um, Yeah, The Beautiful Death. It's by Mathieu Bablet, or Bablet. I'm not sure how you pronounce his surname. Um, He does the art and the writing for this. But the thing that caught my eye was issue number one had a cover by Brandon Graham of King City fame, which I think I may have talked about before. Um, the interesting thing is, is that the artwork that Brandon Graham does for this cover is actually a lot more bland and um, boring than what you actually find inside, having been done by Matthew Babley himself. Um, so let me roll back a second. So it's it's basically a story about 
post-apocalypse, which I know we've talked about a bunch before, but bear with me because I really want you guys to check this one out. So the opening blurb says, the world has ended, the world as we know it at least, the insects came, they won. But the interesting thing about this story is that you barely see the insects. It's more about the aftermath of a apocalypse has yeah. happened on the world which hasn't destroyed the oh. infrastructure it hasn't destroyed buildings it's just there seems to be it's no just life decimated other than the population insects. decimated the, well more than decimated it's like uh, we we basically open on uh, it's a cold open on one man kind of like 28 days later like where we see him wandering around this desolate uh, non um nondescript city like surrounded by skyscrapers and like really densely packed empty buildings where it feels like everyone's just got up and left in a rush um and it's him all alone making the decision to leave like the safety of this outpost that he's made for Mm. himself seemingly the last man on earth and so we follow him for a little while as he reminisces on these childhood stories about um you know, like reminiscing on eating shit cakes made by a scary neighbor and reflecting (laughs) on how that made him feel as a kid and then suddenly we're introduced to three new survivors who are on the front cover of the book. So clearly this guy isn't the last man on earth. There are people around. We see this trio who they seemingly haven't encountered another human in months. And so we get these these action scenes of them basically surviving and without any particular indication of the time frame for any of this. So we see scenes of them sprinting away from these unseen insects where all we see is the, the onomatopoeia of them like screeching through the corners, but we never actually get a good look at what these insects are. We do, however, see what we would consider normal insects, like regular cockroaches and regular centipedes just strewn everywhere, just like tucked into the corners or across the walls. And it's just really disconcerting. And we get, we've basically flashed through different scenes of them surviving. So we see them arguing over wasting spoiled cans of food or, you know, chilling in abandoned, unusable cars just because they thought it'd be a nice break for once to sit behind a car that they'll never get to drive again. Okay. Or, um, like, reluctantly saving each other from certain death, despite it going against some unwritten rule that they talk about afterwards. Like, there's some really interesting moments where they do a thing but they don't explain the thing and you just kind of have to deal with the fact that this is their life now and you're kind of picking up the pieces of what what their new societal rules for just the three of them are um so we kind of get a really broad picture of this trio from all of this without really learning their names in issue one i think we do in issue two at some point but i don't want to get too deep into that um and as for the fate of the first man that i mentioned you're gonna have to read the book to find Mm. out what happens to him so, like, the artwork for this is, re- like, it's totally my thing. It feels like like a dirty watercolour painting in motion. Um, so all of these characters are drawn in really exaggerated shapes, often veering towards anime-esque, where their facial features are becoming, like, slightly misproportioned um, compared to fairly regulated, not, I wouldn't say realistic, but at least a trending towards um, realism backgrounds. Um, and they're stuffed with detail. It kind of reminds me of what was that um, the Aliens book we read? Dead, Dead Orbit, Orbit by James yeah. Deco. Yeah, and you said you liked how much detail he put yeah. into the backgrounds. Yeah. I feel like I bounced off that because all the detail was just him letting his pen run wild. Whereas Matteo Bablet in this one, I feel like there's so much detail because there's a density to the, the landscapes we get of this, what must have been a metropolitan city at some point but has now just, you know, yeah. been left to waste. And 
so each scene kind of has a different coloured wash over it in that watercolour sense, going from these cool, grimy, nighttime blues to these murky sunrise reds and, you know, rainy, muted browns. And the interesting thing is the flow of action for this story is is really clever because you get these you get these panel transitions that are really dense where we get lots of panels dedicated to relatively brief moments. Like I said, there's scenes of them running through an abandoned shopping mall and it's trying to run away from danger, but also trying to grab um, like resources at the same time. And we get these really small panels, snippets of the things that they're running past and just like snapshots of the world that's been left behind that they're zooming their way through. But then after you've had a couple of pages dedicated to what must have only been about 30 seconds of time, the colors shift and the time shifts as well into like in a way that you can't really tell whether it's been hours or days or weeks or months. And it's just really interesting how abrupt that happens. And because there tends not to be any connective tissue between between the two so you get this sense of a vignette of their days surviving Mm. and like you're just being fed the choice moments and it kind of reminds me of i don't know if you guys have played the last of us which also did something really interesting with its transitions between the different seasons but not quite as stark like it does this thing where it feels like all the interesting things are happening inside the transition that you don't get to Mm. see and then all you're left with is like the moments of humanity that they just they're just wandering around this this town yeah Um, not really quite knowing what to do with themselves except just not die. And yeah, and that's that's what I have to say on issue one. I mean, issue two opens where issue one ends, where they they briefly settle down against their regularly nomadic lifestyle. And without giving too much away, we kind of get more insight into what makes this trio tick. We get um, glimpses into their beliefs and uh, their selfish behavior or their selfless behavior. Um, and yeah, I don't want to spoil it. I think you guys should pick this mm. up. I think it's great. No, it's one. It's one yeah. that I mean, I think you've recommended it to me on numerous occasions. It's one that I've been meaning to try, but I've just not gotten around to. Yeah, so. I mean, it's it's only no, it's only two yeah. issues in, and so I don't think you've got a lot to catch up on. And you, I think you can make your mind up whether you whether it's for you no, or yeah, not yeah. based on these two. I'll definitely be picking up number three yeah. on Wednesday. Yeah. Speaking of Wednesday, um, I think. It's time for us to dive into uh, what we are looking forward to. So these are things that will be released on Wednesday, the 15th of November. So this is, I've got my pull list on here and I know Ray's got a list of things that he's looking forward to. So Ray, you want to kick off and go through your list? Yeah. So like I said, Beautiful Death number three, uh, Met, uh, sorry, Mech Cadet U Which number on my four. list as well. Uh, yeah, uh, clue number six, just because I've started, so I have to finish, although I haven't actually read three, four, and five, um, but I, I'll catch up on that. Uh, Lark's Killer number four, which, is that on yours as no, well, No, I'm not reading Lark's Killer at the moment. Sorry, just to roll back a second, clue number six is on the 22nd of November, and Lark's Killer number four is also on the 22nd of November, and one I missed from the 15th is something that I picked up literally just in the title alone. Um, I have no idea what it's about. Minky Woodcock, colon, The Girl Who Handcuffed Houdini, issue number one. I'm going to pick it up just based on the I read a bit alone. about this. It's like a detective-style story, isn't it? Or it's going to be. Something, detec- something detective-y, I think, if, I remember what, if, if I'm remembering what I read correctly. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, it's one, that, it's one that I looked at and was kind of intrigued by the title as well and kind of gave, like, 
<laughs> looked for a blurb basically and gave it a little bit of a read. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Um, it's, you mentioned not being able to catch up on stuff. It it it's it's a real struggle that <laughs> when you buy Comics Weekly and you don't get time to sometimes read stuff and it's just. I, I've had piles and piles of things where, I mean, I read like four or five issues of Venom, four, three or four issues of Venomverse at once to catch up. Um, so with my list, um, we have Batman 35, uh, which is the continuation of the regular Batman story. It's basically Batman going to tell Talia al Ghul that he's marrying Catwoman, whether she likes it or not. Uh, <laughs> You've got the Batman Who Laughs um, one shot, which is one that I've been looking forward to. It's part of the metal event, and uh, that's going to give us some insight into the creepy Hellraiser-ish Batman Who Laughs. So I'm, I'm quite interested to see what happens and what direction they're going with him. Uh, Justice League number 33, which is a tie-in for the metal event. Um, you've got Wonder Woman Conan number 3. Uh, TMNT Ghostbusters number 3. TMNT ongoing number 76 and uh, we're going to get some Triteratons. Uh, we've got Curse Words number 10, Generation Gone number 5, Kill the Minotaur number 6, Realm number 3, which, you know, going on this, the theme of post-apocalyptic stories, it's another post-apocalyptic story this time. Um, kind of D&D meets The Last of Us, I guess is the best way to describe it. Um, you've got Retcon number 3, and Peter Parker Spectacular Spider-Man 297, which would actually... I can't remember what number it would actually be now, because I'm all confused, because Marvel have decided they're going to re-number uh, all of their stuff. So it's um, Marvel have done this legacy numbering now, where everything has now gone back to its original numbering. So it's now Peter Parker Spectacular Spider-Man 297, instead of what it would have been. So I guess that wraps us up now. We're at the end of our lists. So... Um, yeah, this has been Ace Comicals number 22. So you can find us on iTunes. You can find us pretty much everywhere now, can't you, Ray? <laughs> yeah, um, we finally uploaded everything to everything. Yeah. <laughs> it seems we've got it on Pocket Cast, we've got it on Stitcher. Because I, yeah. Yeah, I spent some time trying to get this all uploaded. So it's on Apple, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Castro, whatever the hell that is. I just saw that for the first time right now. So the world's your oyster. Download us from wherever the hell yep. you want. Whatever, whatever you use to listen to podcasts, I'm sure we're there. With the exception of Google, because that's not available in our neck of the woods yet. So... You can also find us at www.acecomicals.com. You can find us at acecomicals.wordpress.com. You can find us on Instagram under Ace Comicals. You can find us on Facebook under Ace Comicals. You can find us on Twitter at Ace Comicals. You can find me on Twitter at B-A-T-T-O-U, Bato. Uh, guys, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me at Monke, so that's at M-O-O-N-K-E-H. And you can find me at Leon Everett on Twitter. And... If you want to field us a question, uh, you can either field it to the Ace Comicals Twitter account, uh, DM at whichever way you want to do it, reply, or you can go. You can send us an email to acecomicals at gmail.com and we will answer your question on our next show. We like questions. Please send us some questions. So that has been Ace Comicals number 22. So Ace Comicals, over and out.